Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Good morning, everybody. Well, Pastor James told us that we were in for a treat this morning, but he didn't tell you exactly what. So uh, I get the honor of introducing uh, uh, Janet King. Janet King is a harpist. And if you have been on a, in a, at a wedding and you've heard a harp, it was probably Janet because she is um, tri-state area. She's known uh, to be the wedding harpist. And um, we are so excited to have you this morning, Janet. And uh, so we're just going to get out of your way, and we're just going to... And Megan is here as well. Megan is going to accompany her. So there you go. Ladies, thank you so much. Do you want mine? Oh. to read from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 13 through 23. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and all shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. 
Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Why don't we give Janet a hand coming out here, and Megan too, singing Amazing Grace. That was beautiful. Excuse me? Oh, it's, all, it's up to you. Do you want to hear Janet play in the background while I ask a few questions? Do you like that? Well, thank you, first of all, for coming here to... I'm going to move this out of the way so see, some of you can maybe see me. Um, you don't want to see me, but just, I'll move that anyway. Uh, do, do you, you know what? Maybe we'll take a mic. Yeah. You want to hold, you want to hold the mic, maybe? That'd be great. Uh, how long have you been playing the harp? Okay. Is it on? Yes. You hear me? Okay. Uh, I've been playing since I was seven years old. Seven years old. Yeah, I started wow. young because I have music in my family. My mother's a pianist, and so uh, I was required to start music lessons in an instrument, but I got to choose the instrument. So I ch- researched it for seven years. <laughs> wow. And now, I saw a harp somewhere, and I said, that. "Yeah." When when you started uh, to play the harp. How many hours would you say a day when you were younger that you would you would practice? Because I have a lot of kids in the audience, younger people. Well, maybe not just younger people, model. but people. That's a re- I, I tried to warn you <laughs> off that question. Um, yeah, sure. I, I didn't. I didn't. When you were a kid, you, you didn't. I when didn't you were younger, practiced. I was a bad student. Really? <laughs> then how did you become so good at your craft? <laughs> You really want to go there. Okay, so my harp teacher quit on me because I never practiced. He, I told him not to ask. Wow. All right. <laughs> and after, after that, I started to play, and I've been playing wow. ever since. I'm, I'm kind of... Well, like you're an acclaimed movie. harpist. I mean, you play all over the place, and I, I checked out your website. Apparently. And I did a, hey, I did, a, I, did a, I did a lot of research on you. I didn't tell you that. And a couple of other people that I talked to knew who Janet was. And they said, oh, yeah, Janet's very good. So a couple of other people knew who you were. So you have quite the reputation. No, I'm not insecure. Were you afraid when I had called you originally, too? Were you like, it's probably the first time you ever had a minister call you and say they would like for you to come to a church mm-hmm. probably and play, right? No. No? You play a lot in churches. Sure. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's good to know. Okay. I have more questions. I'm not done yet. Go for it. All right. <laughs> Uh, how would you say the harp is in comparison to other instruments? My wife and I were talking. I would say it's probably the most beautiful instrument, I think, to listen to. Um, how, in comparison, since you know a lot more about music than I do, what would you say in comparison to, to others? Uh, yeah. 
have a broad You're making it look easy. Well, okay, so this, well, a couple of things. One is it's really easy to make a beautiful sound on a harp. Watch. Take one finger. So you're giving a music lesson too. You came to church today and you're getting a music lesson on top. Okay. But it, it is a good harp. It's just, it's so, I mean, it's really easy to make a beautiful sound on a harp. Like some instruments, like a violin, you have to learn how to make the sound. Or like a clarinet, you have to learn how to blow in or a flute. But the harp, it is just as easy if you're not too shy. But it's really easy to pluck a string and make a beautiful sound. Wow. So, I mean, to play a specific piece of music might be more akin to playing piano. You have to learn. But if you just went to a harp and just plucked, it would sound beautiful. Could you tell maybe the audience the difference between the two harps that you have? Like, you brought... Right. This is, this is Janet's smaller harp. Yeah. This is... Well, this is actually a folk instrument. And I also play... Actually, mostly when I play weddings and stuff, I play with a large classical harp, which is the kind of harp that you would see in an orchestra. It's big. It has seven pedals along the bass. It has more strings. Um, and... Uh, but it's the same idea, strings that you pluck. The biggest difference is pedals. Like, if you know about music, you have sharps and flats. And on a pedal harp, I use my feet to make sharps and flats. The strings are, like, analogous to all the white notes on a keyboard. On this instrument, I'm a little bit more limited because every string has what's called a sharping lever. So I can get two pitches per string. Every string can have two different sounds. And on a pedal harp, this is getting quite complicated, but on a pedal harp, it's interesting. every string can have three different sounds, so I have access to more. So here's, that's my F sharp. The same string has two different sounds, because I'm, I'm moving this lever, I can do it. So, but this particular harp, I really love this harp. I, I met this harp at a harp conference, and I didn't... I didn't you fell in lo love at first sight? At first hearing, actually. Okay. That makes sense. I think this, you know, I think you're hearing like one of the best harps I've ever heard. I love this harp. And actually, we can tell. It was made by a Christian evangelical. I was glad you, I was going to take you there. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. Wow. And what is that? What is, what kind of wood is that? If you know, uh, I don't it, know. You know, I don't know. It's a cherry wood right. thin. It's a cherry wood. But, uh, Which is yeah, a very so. strong wood, in case you didn't know that. Is it? Okay. It's just so, it's so peaceful. It makes me calm. It makes me, <laughs> right? Doesn't big, it really? I mean, <laughs> you can see why, as we get into the biblical story today, you can see why Saul, the current king, is going to bring David, or he doesn't know it's David at the time, we know it's David, but you can see why he brings somebody in to play this instrument, how beautiful it is, how melodic, right? I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, and then uh, last question from me, and I'm going to ask any children in the audience, maybe they have a question for you. Okay. Uh, is there anything interesting about the harp that you can tell us maybe the average person wouldn't know? I know nothing. Uh, is there anything that you could tell us about the harp that we would find kind of neat? What do you think? I don't know. Want to give them any secrets? No. No um, secrets? It's just, I mean, I'm not really prepared for that question. It's just a nice, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's lovely to yeah. play. I love it. Hey, do we have any kids in the Do we have anybody in the audience, a, a, a kid that would like, not an adult, a kid that would like to ask a question? To Janet, we have anybody in the audience that you would like to ask a question. This is your time. Don't be shy. I see a hand over there. Well, I have one of the musicians. Where's that hand coming from? I don't see them. Oh, all right. What's the question? 
How about somebody relays the, relay the question to me? How does it play like that? Hmm. Bring them up. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. <laughs> yeah. Come here. This is what you get for uh, being brave to ask your question. Go come up. on over. What's your name? Lyle. Here, take one finger, put it on a string, and pluck it. Uh huh, do another one. Uh huh. Now take that one finger and do this. Wait, actually, that's it. Is it hard? Yeah. Great job. Hey, mom and dad, watch out. I think later on today, you know what you're going to hear. I want to, I want to harp. <laughs> hey, give Janet one more round of applause. Janet, I want to thank you so much for coming out to play for us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Oh, you have enough. Steve, did you, you want to get your question into? Steve's the musician. He's good. He trumps you. I know that question. The answer. I'm not a historian. I don't okay. know. Sorry. David played a harp that had ten strings. From everything I read, uh, from you know scholars, every commentary I read, um, I don't even. I tried to find the pronunciation of this, and I K I D D O R. In Hebrew, I don't know if that's a kador. I don't think it's kidder. I would guess it's a kador. That's what they called when I looked this up. I went on YouTube. I was like searching. Can somebody just pronounce the name for me? I could not find it. Uh, but again, 10 strings. How many strings does that have? Looks like this it has, has more than 10. 34. 34. Wow. Yeah, this is a Go large, ahead. This is a large folk harp. They make them smaller. Folk harps aren't as standardized as okay. orchestral harps. It's a pretty close to full-size folk art for what you can get. Wow. I was just wondering yeah, if you could give us the name of one or two albums, CDs, that people would be. Have you recorded anything on these CDs? No, but if you go to my website, you can listen to a lot of music there, but I don't have a CD or an album. For decades, people have been talking about it. I'd love you to recommend. I don't know about music and harp. I don't know about people. So, you can recommend it. Uh, depends on the style you like. I don't mean, I mean, like, there's Kim Robertson is a well known folk harpist. You can also go to Classical Harp. You can get Classical Harpists. Um, there's a French harpist I really like. I can't say his name. Sylvain, something with a B and two syllables. Okay. Cool. Okay, appreciate it. Thank hey, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Need any help getting out? Or are you good? Strong. How, can I feel that? I want to feel how heavy that is. This is a, well, this is a particularly light. Harp. And you know what? Since I was the one that came up with the idea, did, can I try it? Yes, I'm not going to be as gentle. Well, this is, Megan, this is what I want for Christmas. <laughs> this is what I want. Thanks so I'll much. I'll tell you. Yeah. Follow up, I'll, I'll put you in touch with the heart maker. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Isn't that a cool little treat? I told you it's, you know, it's obviously tethered to uh, our text this morning. I want to thank Janet uh, for coming here and playing. I would ask all the teachers and the kids, they can now be released. We wanted the kids to be a, a part of that, to see that, and to hear that. Well, good morning, and, and here we are for. Part two of our David series. How many of you were here last week? You were here last week. 
Uh, if you weren't, I'm just going to say this every week of the series. Go listen to the podcast. Every week builds on the prior week. So one sermon builds on the next. If you weren't here last week, you don't have a full understanding of who this guy is that's in the sheep pasture that's taking care of dad's sheep. Right? You just, you don't. So when you hear the sermon, and I almost, it's amazing, I almost kept that story out about his family line and why he's the one that's hidden out in the field because it's kind of complicated. And I had a number of people text me, comment to me afterwards that was their favorite part of the sermon. So I would have been remiss if I didn't share that with you. And I'm glad that you got so much out of it. I was afraid that you'd get lost in the weeds with that. But we started last week, and this is going to be a long process. I said, I'm not in a rush to get through this series. I'm preaching from a passage today that most ministers, they don't preach from this. They go right from the beginning of David getting anointed by the prophet Samuel, and then they go right to David and Goliath. David and Goliath is next week. I am not giving you a normal spin on David and Goliath. I'm going to give you some interesting history about David and Goliath, but I'm going to give you a different slant because it is hard as a preacher because it is the most recognizable story probably in the whole Bible. Would you agree? David and Goliath. Everyone's like, I've heard, I don't know, umpteen sermons about David and Goliath. I promise you, and I think if you've heard me preach for any amount of time, I enjoy taking passages that you think you know everything about, and that's all I do. I study, and I'm like, ooh, there's a new little twist on that. So I'm going to give you a new little twist on it next week. I know what, what direction uh, I'll be headed in that. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to, get, we're going to be in, in 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to start in the, the verse that we ended in last week, and that'll be verse 13. Right? And in verse 13... Give you a second. I hear some pages turning, see some phones on, right? All good. Whatever you use, turn it on, open it up, whatever you need to do. Uh, Here's the title, A A Relentless Pursuit. The title of today's sermon is From the Pasture to the Palace. You like that? Yeah, I like it. You don't like it? I was going to come up with another title, like more of a title that you would probably appreciate, but I'm like, no, that's the title I want for the message today. So that's the title. And here we go. Let's start in verse 13. There we go. All right. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. David's kind of like the male Cinderella, is he not? I was thinking about it this week. I'm like, he's like the male Cinderella, right? He is outside doing the domestic chores while everybody else is at the party. And he's not invited to the party. He's not allowed to come. He comes later on, right? You remember last week, the prophet said, do you have any more sons? He went down the line. He started at, you know, Eliab. And then he went down and he goes through all this, all seven. And we said, no, it was son number eight. But son number eight was out in the field. Son number eight was the one that was kind of hidden away. And again, we went into that part of the story as to why that was the case. But it's so interesting. And I want you to understand. I want you to see it here from the beginning. Even as we get into next week, we have to understand that people, man cannot disappoint That which God appoints. Thinking about it, I'm saying, you know, man cannot, I'll say it again so you get it, cannot disappoint that 
which God appoints. You see, there was a boy that was out in the... She- it was a shepherd that is out in the field. He is a boy. And I used Caleb Walcott to give you a picture of a young child. Scholars believe he's between the ages of 10 and 14 years old. He's out there. The one that is forgotten. Son number eight was the one that God had his hand on. Son number eight was the one that society said is unqualified. Son number eight is the one that should be marginalized, should be excluded. Son number eight doesn't have a destiny because of what happened in his history. Son number eight should never amount to anything in life. And I'm here in this series to tell you that the enemy is a liar because I know there are number eights in this room. I know there are people that feel like they're a number eight. You feel like that the enemy's been telling you time and time again that your life is never going to amount to anything, that you're not going anywhere, but you have a purpose, you have a destiny, God has a plan for your life. And you would think, right, at this point in the story, can I give you verse 14? I'm not going to put it up, I just I have it memorized. And then David left after he was anointed by Samuel and his driver was outside and his driver took him to Nordstrom's so he could try on some crowns and robes. Is that what your Bible says? It doesn't say that it says something different. Come on, don't get religious on me. Wouldn't you think that's what the next verse in the Bible should say? Come on. If you were going to be anointed to be the next king, dad, peace, brothers, peace out. You're going to go to a place like Nordstrom's. Let me try on some Versace robes, some Armani crowns. You know, whatever. I'm just using two names that like very expensive stuff. But let's go do that. Let me go do that. Doesn't happen here in the story. But that's what we would think would happen because God has appointed him. But listen, God says, David, it's your time, but it's not your turn. You see, David, I'm anointing you, but you still have a purpose. There is still a plan, but you're not going to get to the throne yet where you're going to reign. It's not your turn yet because I need to know and I need to see and I need to work on some things in your life and I need to build some things inside of you. I've deposited gifts inside of you. They're hidden in your humanity. But we need some time here to work all that stuff out. It's going to take a little while, David. You're not going to get right to the throne. It's going to take years. And I thought of us. You know what I thought of? I said, how many people are so impatient in the process of waiting on God? We're so impatient. You know the story, many of you. You know this guy's story. But look at your own story. Some of you are sitting in here. God, maybe you had a prophecy over your life. Maybe you just, God told you something. You didn't need to have somebody else tell you. You just know something God told you about your life. And you're like, when is this going to come to fruition? When is this finally going to happen in my life? And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And you become so impatient. That's what's going on with this young boy. But he's faithful in the field. He's faithful out with the sheep. God says, listen, man, you're going to have to take care of the sheep. If you're going to hang out with people because they have a lot of similarities, they're both dumb, right? Sheep are dumb and people are kind of dumb too. 
So if you ever want to lead people, you're going to have to learn first how to lead sheep. It's only one verse. Verse number 14. Look what it says in 14. But the spirit, I don't want this jacket on, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. I don't want to get into all this theologically. If you have any questions on this, I would ask that you see Pastor Linda following the meeting and she will answer all of your questions. Isn't that cool? She's so excited. She's going to kill me after. Listen, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about it, Pastor Linda, a lot. And we kind of go back and forth a little bit now, but it's so cool because least likely child, like son, number eight, like David, least likely I told you last week of all of her kids to be preaching. You know how many times she told stories and let them out of the bag when I ran over the, 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 uh, what did I, the hose with the lawnmower and you told story after story about things I did in my life. Now it's, I had a lot of time now, <laughs> 44 years old, a lot of payback. Thank you, Lord. I have a lot of payback time. <laughs> but really, in all seriousness, what does this verse mean? Can I just theologically, let me, let me just make it really simple. Because you look at this and you go, the spirit of the Lord departed from, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now in Hebrew, a real good rendering of this, a translation of this is more that God is pulling back his protection from the current king. Because he has disobeyed God time and time again. He has fallen away. He's kind of, some scholars believe he's like schizophrenic. I mean, this man, he is in bad shape. That's why he's going to have to, he wants a harp. They're going to bring a harpist in. He's in such bad shape that God says, you know what? I'm going to leave you in your ways. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull back my protection and let you continue to go down the road you're going. And if I was the enemy, can I give you a little anatomy of the enemy, what he tries to do too? A lot of times the enemy doesn't even have to attack us. All he has to do is tell us, just let them keep going down the same road that they're on. Because we as human beings, you know what we're so good at? Self-sabotage. The enemy doesn't even have to do anything. So go ahead, go ahead. Keep doing all this stuff. Keep disobeying God. I don't have to do anything. You keep disobeying. You're sabotaging your own life. God says, I'm done with you. I have chosen for myself a new king. And there's a lot more to that. But if you even go, like, see, I, I shouldn't, but just quickly, if you're in the book of Job, remember in the book of Job in the beginning? And Satan, who is a bellhop in heaven, he's an angel and he's, he's taken out of heaven, right? Like, he, you're done, we're, you're evicted, and he's sent down to the earth. And then he comes before God, right, in heaven, and he asks. He has to ask, can I have permission to go after your servant Job? Which leads us to believe and know that he did not have the right... He was not allowed to go after anybody without God's approval because God is ultimately on the throne. Today, God is ultimately on the throne and Satan can try to do whatever he wants, but without God allowing that to happen in our lives, it's not going to happen. Amen is right. And so we see that in verse 14. Now let's get to some of the really good stuff. Stay with me. I say that a lot to you in sermons. You have to be patient, right? You have to build, right? You have to build into the crescendo, okay? 15 through 18. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful, skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you. And you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. 
Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful and playing. Now, this is very important. If you take notes, look at this. Skillful and playing. A mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Are you kidding me? Look at the resume of this guy. Now, notice too, he does not say, the servant does not say his name. We know it's David again, but his name is not mentioned. And that's very curious when you look at this whole story. But you have to understand something. Like this woman that came here and played today, Janet, and she plays weddings and very expensive to have her come in. Very expensive to have, very expensive to have her come in and play, right? But you look at this, this dude, David, is a bad cat on the harp. David is, he's young, yeah, he's young. He's playing in clubs. This kid is going around in Bethlehem, every known club. And, and, uh, you got to bring the harpist in. They don't have the kind of music that we have today. But this dude could play. He could write songs. He's bad on the harp. We want this guy. This is the guy that we want. They're giving his resume. Listen, again, I, I'm saying it to you. Goliath isn't even in the picture yet. A lot of you, I want Goliath. Well, guess what? Next week, a lot of us don't even get to Goliath because of our own, we self-sabotage. We don't even get there. Part of my message, I shouldn't have thrown that out there, but I did, all right? And, and here he is, no national recognition. Scripture wants us to know at this point, though, who is this guy, David? And they want to give us his background because it's going to be really important. And you know what's wild to me? A lot of times, when you hear people's story, how many of you, whether it's a musician or whether it's an athlete, you hear their story, Right? I love to hear stories, but a lot of times we see their glory first. You know what I'm talking about? You see them on a stage, you see them on an athletic field, and you see them in their exploits, and you're like, man, that's incredible. How many of you, and I have to use this, again, it's football season, I'm allowed to. The Hall of Fame speeches, was it August, maybe the beginning of August, one of uh, uh, my favorite players, just because of his background, a guy named Kurt Warner, he's a quarterback. How many of you heard the name, maybe you saw it? His speech was amazing. And I've heard Kurt Warner say, and if you don't know who he is, who cares? Just get this part, all right? If you know nothing about football, you're like, dude, I hate football. That's fine. That's okay, all right? God loves football, by the way. But um, this is what he said. He said, everybody knows about the glory, but not many people know the story behind the glory. Oh, my gosh. That pre- I could sit right down. I could sit right in that chair right now. I don't have to preach anything else. Come on, are you kidding me? He said, that's what happens so many times. You see the glory that's out there, but you don't know the grind that went into it. Tom Brady is going to be slinging passes all over the field today. I don't want to watch Tom Brady on a squat rock doing, you know, his squats and doing his bench presses. You don't want to see that either. But we have to understand any athlete, any musician, anybody that got anywhere in life, there's a grind that takes place and the grind comes before the glory. And too many of us, I think, in church, we want the glory. God, take me to this place in my life. It's not take me up on a stage. It's somewhere. God, I want to be a finished work. God, move in my life. But God is saying, what about the grind? What about those things that you're supposed to be doing with your life? It doesn't just happen by osmosis, but I think for many of us, we think it it does. And then when life doesn't turn out the way we want, we're like, gosh, what's God? Are you kidding me? 
How come this didn't work out with my marriage? How come in church I feel lost? I don't know what my calling is. Are you digging? Are you really searching? Are you trying to find what your calling is? Because that's what God is asking us to do. And the problem, too, when, when, when you, you look at this, this, this word gift, right? I think we can be so mesmerized by the, by the word gift. Do you know people that are so talented that like, they just have like, giftedness like oozing out of their nostrils? <laughs> Right? They need like a Kleenex because they're just like, and I was thinking about it. I could like pick on people. I could pick on you, right? But I won't pick on you because everyone knows who you are. If you never talked to Mr. Canis, you could talk to Mr. Canis about anything. He'll tell you what happened in sports last night. He'll tell you politics. Of course, he knows a little bit about business. He knows a little bit about banking, right? But I'm thinking even about like my brother-in-law. Yeah, dude, I got to embarrass you, man. Because you're the, oh, he's like, oh, not me, not me. This guy, accomplished athlete. This guy marries into the family, and I'm like, yeah, awesome, great, great. We got Scott Schuster is now married into the family. Why can't you be more like Scott? Scott could build a house. <laughs> Scott could probably play the harp. I wanted to go, listen, Scott Schuster back there can play the harp better than you. I should have just had, brought a harp in and had Scott play the harp. Guy can do anything. You know what I'm talking about? There are people like that, and they're like, they make you sick. <laughs> they make you, dude, I love you, but listen, you know what I'm talking about? They can kind of do it every time. The guy knows everything. We're in a conversation. I'm like, dude, how do you even know that? He just knows everything. It's kind of funny. And I feel bad for my sister. She has to live with you. <laughs> oh, I got hurt last week. I got you a little bit this week. Lynn's, am I right? My niece back there? Oh, yeah. Lukey, how you doing? My, my nephew's here. He's, he's, at, he's at school. He's at SUNY Maritime. So I didn't see you this weekend. Good to see you, buddy. But God has deposited something inside of us. But we have to, in order to make a difference in the world, we have, to, we have to find out what that is and we have to work for it. We have to really work for it. You with me on that? How many of you are willing to put the work in? What God has deposited in your life are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This message is not as deep as the next two messages are going to be a little deeper. But I think it's important. I, don't, I couldn't just move on and go to the next thing. So how does your gift grow? Can I give us three, three ways that our gift grows before we leave? And then we'll, we'll be on our way. But I want to give us three ways by which our gift can grow. And I would say number one is going to be diligence. To be diligent in what we do. Can you look at this story? I want to ask you, how many hours do you think David sat and played the harp? She killed my whole illustration. And she, I talked to harpists. Listen to me. I talked to harpists this week, last week. How many hours do you play a day? Ah, three or four hours a day, accomplished harpists, three, four hours a day. I said to myself, how many hours a day? Picture this in your mind. Have an imagination. How many hours? Can you see a young 10-year-old boy who's tending sheep and he's playing on his harp and he's just playing all day, all day. I think somebody gave him lessons for a little while. I think he was a better student than Janet King. I think at some point, right, though, he said, I don't need, he had a gift that was inside of him, but he played and he mesmerized people, but he was diligent. That which God gave him, he was diligent to work. And there are people in this room that God has given you a gift and you're not working on it. You're not. I have to just say it like it is. Some of you have gifts inside of you, hidden in your humanity, but you're not really working on them. You want to just leave and have everything's all nice and I don't say, come on, it's the truth. 
There are things in this room that we want to see as pastors in, in this church. We want to see some of those gifts come out. But it's not just in the church. I'm talking about life. God needs people in the secular world, wherever you are, whatever your job is. I hate the Christian approach and mindset. Ah, oh, here we go. The Christian mindset. I'm going to get myself a little bit in trouble here. But that says, oh man, kids have to just go to Christian schools and everybody, you need to work at a Christian school and you need to be, just stay in the church. Your little enclave. Make sure you don't hang out with people outside the church. Make sure you don't, you don't want to be impacted or influenced by all this. God needs people in the secular world to make a difference. God has you in that bank. God has you in that office. God has you in that school. God has you in that hospital. Kids, he has you in that school for a reason. You ought to be difference makers. It's not, hey, you know, I, I, I can't. No, you are to be difference makers. And there are a lot of us in here again, though. We're not doing anything with what God has deposited in us. And you know what? Be careful when you envy somebody else's gift. Be careful when you envy somebody else's gift. Do you want to know why? Because there are three words that go along with a gift. Do you want to hear them? And I never forgot them. I got this from a John Ortberg book years ago. You know where I'm going? Pastor Linda, she let me down. Ready? And I use this in my... I didn't bring another... I didn't want to do the illustration again because I already did it in the Jacob series. Three words. Ready? Some assembly required my least favorite words once December comes and rolls around and I don't buy many of the presents but when I know she bought a present and we have to put this together I start to shake and sweat because I worry that I'm going to be the one and she's like listen just I'm going to put it together yeah you know what what a shock to my masculinity that my wife can put together all the toys, and I can't. There have been times she comes in, and she's like, just let me do it. No, I can do it. And I try to pull away. No, I got it. I got this. I got this. She's like, just go inside. Go read. Go do a sermon. Do something else that maybe you're halfway good, but you're not good. You can't do Some assembly required. Are you kidding me? The bicycle that you get or the toy that you get, right? It doesn't come put together. You have to put it together. God has given us gifts. And God says there is some assembly required. You have certain things to do. I have to do things. I have to work at it. You think, listen. Do you think sermons just pop out of the sky? Do you think I woke up yesterday morning and said, hey, I'm going to preach on 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23. And I said, wow, this is, yeah, that'll be a good story. That'll be... I study my butt off, right? I know I'm in, I'm in church again. I don't want to get anybody upset. But listen to me. Are you kidding? Do you think like this pop I'm just driving and I see something on a truck and I go, oh, there's my sermon for next week. <laughs> what would you feel like if you came into church and, you, and I said to you, I got up and I said to you, well, I don't really know what I'm going to speak on today, but I'm just going to kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I'm just going to come in here and kind of, he'd be like, I got up out of bed and I came to church. Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Listen, whatever they say, I t- whatever they say about me, you can say I'm too loud. You can say I'm too passionate. You can say my jokes sometimes aren't funny because they probably aren't. Right? You can say whatever you want, but there's one thing you will never say about James Letcher, one of your pastors. You will never say I'm not diligent. You will never say I don't give everything I have every single sermon. Because every sermon I say, I'm going to give it all. And not that everyone does that. I will not get on my feet 
I will not get on my feet. I will not go to a classroom at school. I can preach this way because I have another job just like you. And let me tell you something. I walk in my room. I know the responsibility I have. I come in this pulpit and I say, listen, I'm giving I'm leaving everything on the stage. I'm going all out. I'm all in. That's my personality. And I don't care. You know what, God? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave it all in the field. That's it. That's how I played sports. Now I get it. I get it as a kid. It was like, I was crazy. But now I understand why God's like, I'm going to use that thing inside of you that I deposited, but I'm going to use it for something good. Right? You find you. What's that in your life? I got more on myself. I'm going to, I'm going to divulge more information. I'm, you're, I'm going to be like on the couch and you're going to help me in a few minutes. But these gifts come with a warning. And, and you know, you didn't earn the gift. You didn't earn the gift. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. My mother-in-law, gift of hospitality. She's, right, doesn't she? she everyone, I heard some of you, yes. She's not here, that's why I'm embarrassing her. She'd be upset if she was here. But she has the gift of hospitality. But guess what? Listen to me. Just because you have the gift of hospitality doesn't mean that you don't have anything. You've got to put something in the oven. The gift of hospitality comes with mops and brooms. There are things that you have to do. And some of you, you have gifts that you didn't earn. God gave... Do you, why People think you're funny. Why do people think you're funny? My brother-in-law, he's a funny guy. Why is he... Fu- Listen, there's a reason why God gave you that gift. There's a reason why God wants to do something with that gift. He's looking for us to work with it. What are we doing with those gifts? Some of you are yawning. You're like, dude, this is not what I want to hear. That's what God wants you to hear today. And some of us, we kind of want like, you know, you ever see somebody has like a really nice car? I was with people recently. They're not in this church. But this guy had a car that was like unbelievable, really nice car. The other guy's like, dude, man, I want to drive that car. And he's like, you can drive the car. You want to take over the payments too? <laughs> you know what we want? You know, a lot of times, you know what we want? We want the product, but we don't want to make the payments. Oh, I'm preaching now. We want the glory. I'm just saying it different ways today. We want these things, but we don't want to really work for it. Hey, can I ask you, can I be really honest? Like it's just you and me, just, just the two of us. What are you doing in terms of your craft or whatever you're good at, your giftedness? Have you read any books? Like we, we, we met with the music team last week. And I just asked them, I said, hey, look, I'm challenging myself. What are you doing as a musician? Are you, what have you read in the past year that's really helped you? Who in your life is helping mentor you? Oh. It's, you know when you're preaching good when it's quiet like that? You know, yeah, you know it's, it's quiet. When everyone's clapping, that's okay. But when it's really quiet, sometimes you know it's good. You know you're hitting home. But come on, whatever it is, when's the last time you said, I'm going to do something to really work at my craft, my giftedness? David was not a musician. He was the musician. He's the harpist in Bethlehem, just like Jesus. And I've shared this in years past before. Jesus, when they, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that the carpenter from Nazareth? In Greek, they were saying, isn't he the one? Isn't he the most amazing carpenter in all of Nazareth? There wasn't just a list of other people that were really good. No, he was the best carpenter around. David was the best harpist that was around. And I'm not saying to you today, you better be a perfectionist. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to be the best. You know what Henry Cloud says, psychologist? He says, you better bring God your best. That preaches too. Don't, you don't have to be the best. Bring God your best. Whatever it is, I have a tendency of proclivity. I move in that direction towards, towards perfectionism. 
I'm a perfectionist. Thank you, Pastor Linda. She gave it to me. It's her problem. She gave it to me. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about? And where does that come from? The root of that's inadequacy, validation, all things like when you really get down into it. But I deal with that. I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. But we need to dig for it. There's a great story. There's a great story. There's a, there's a pastor and he buys this farm, like this ranch, right? This place is beat up. It's, you know, it's got broken windows, gopher holes. It's got tumbleweeds. I mean, it needs a lot of work. And he's a minister, right? So this minister, all his free time, he's trying to fix things up. And it takes him a couple of years to do everything, to get everything in place, to get everything straightened out. And finally, after like four years, everything looks great. Everything's in place. His neighbor comes over. He says, hey, we'll call him Farmer, uh, Farmer Jones. Farmer Jones comes over and he's like, hey, neighbor, preacher. Property looks real good. You and God did a great job on the property putting all this together. And the guy quips back at him. He says, you should have seen the place when God had it all to himself. <laughs> Friends, we are called by God to dig. To dig. Dig down. Dig deep. What are you doing? You feel, how many of you, honestly, you feel stagnant? It could be at your job or whatever. Don't tell me I have a lot of road warriors in here. You don't know what that means, right? You don't even know what that means. I read this in a book from, from uh, the Barna, Barna Research Group. You know what they said? We have a lot of people in America that are road warriors. Right? Retired on active duty. Boom. Whatever you look at, seven, eight out of ten people hate their jobs. Most of you aren't getting up. We did a series on this some years ago. Most of you aren't getting up going, oh, you get up out of bed and you're like, thank God, it's Monday. <laughs> snooze, 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 snooze. I don't want to get up today. And then you're in the road, right? God only knows how you're driving, right? When you're going to work and you get to work and you're a miserable human being and somebody says, hi, how was your weekend? <laughs> and you just kind of walk past them. That's some of you, right? Come on. You know it's true. It happens. Retired on active duty. I read that and said, oh my gosh, we have a problem in our society that so many people just say, you know what? I'm just working to live and precious few that, that lived and that worked to live. I flipped it. Whatever it is, I flipped it. You get it? <laughs> that live to work. Very few live to work. What is it? And I know it's a sore topic, a sensitive subject for Americans. I know it is inside and outside the church. There's a problem, but we need to dig for it. Can I go on now? Can I go on now in this? Show you a little bit. I'm, ha I'm just hammering away at the same point over and over. You're like, I get it, preacher man. Not done yet. Not done yet. Look what Martin Luther said too. He said, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Can I get an amen from a neat freak in the house? Right? The Christian shoemaker does not, does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Whoa, you got nothing else. How about that quote? Take that, put that on your fridge, slap that on your fridge. If you're a business owner, God, listen, God loves excellence. That's my message this morning. We don't preach enough of this in the church. God loves excellence. And people go, well, my heart's right. 
Some of, so listen, first of me, she sang the song Amazing Grace. What would happen if I, I, my, I love the Lord, I love God, and I got up here and I sang? You'd all walk out the door. You would leave this place. And there's somebody sitting here, you think you can sing. You can't sing. That's why you're sitting where you are. You have other gifts. I don't have that gift either. You have other gifts, but that's not your gift. You can't just say, listen, my heart's in the right place. Come on, we hear that all the time. I got one. I got two. Yes, two, three. But we need to dig for it. And then look, look at this. Look at how cool is this? What it says in 16 and 17. Can I just highlight it again? Let your master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. It shall be that he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit comes upon him and he shall be well. Look, 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 look. Does David ever make it to the palace? The title of the message, from the pasture to the palace. Does he ever make it to be king? Many of you probably never thought that, but does he ever make it to be king unless he's an amazing harpist? Think about that. Does he ever get to Goliath if he's not an amazing harpist? Wait till you get to next week with some of the stuff I want to just unload. I want to unload right now, but I got to stop myself. Well, listen, I'm ex- I just love, I listen, I love to preach. And you know what? I love the fact that many of you, you're so receptive and respond. I'm being serious with you now. I thank you. You make our sermons good. I told you, you have to preach with me. You have to. Thank you. I love you too. Search for someone who can play, not pray. Wait, find somebody. You're in church. Find somebody. Scott, you with me? Find somebody who can pray really well because I want them to come in and I want them. No, no, no. Let's blow your religious box. David never gets there if he's not an amazing musician. We're looking to have somebody. Oh, he's a great. This guy can pray. This dude can wait. King, so wait till you see this guy pray. No, 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 no. He only gets before the king. He's only there playing, putting him. And by the way, too, how funny is this? The current king, who is the rejected king, who has this distressing spirit, is sitting there while the chosen king of God is playing music, putting him to sleep. The writer wants us to know, putting, putting 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, and 14 to 23. He's like, look, you need to see this because in the beginning, can I go on a little bit? Can I go on a little bit? You ready for this, Mike? Ready for this? You ready for this bomb? Mike, I don't know if you're ready for it. All right. In the beginning, what did it say? It was God. God has chosen his own king, right? In the beginning, we said last week. In this passage, it says at the end that King Saul loved him great, loved him so much. The Bible is trying to show us that even the current king is backing up God's choice to be king. Are you kidding me? He's saying, look, yeah, I'm back. Look who's backing you, the current king, who has no idea that one day you're going to be taking over the throne. It's going to be a while, and I'm going to throw spears at you. Wait till two weeks and we get into that. He's going to be dodging spears from the king. Oh, that's going to be a fun sermon, too. One sermon at a time, James. One sermon at a time. Focus. So it doesn't say, right, it doesn't say somebody that just loves God in this passage. It's talking about somebody. And, and, and number two, and I'm going to go faster on these because I know a lot of you are like, I, I, I want to get out and you're hungry. That's okay. Number two, number two, we have 
excellence. Now, they're kind of similar to each other a little bit. I mean, they teach you to come up with three-point sermons, so I don't know. It's like maybe tethered to the other one. Uh, but, but excellence, right? We need to understand. I think there are a lot of Christians, too. Can, can we be totally honest? I said to you before, hey, my heart's in the right place. We say that a lot. You hear people say that. But you ha- there has to be some giftedness. How about this? How about, I'll, I'll keep it really simple. How about if you're a business owner, you are so good at your job and what you do, you don't even have to put the cross logo on your car, on your truck. You don't even need to put bumper stickers if you're just a regular person. You don't even need to put bumper stickers or anything on your car letting people know that you're a Christian. But people watch how you live your life and they know there's something different about you. They know that you're a Christian. I went into my dry cleaners recently. I told you this, right? Nah, she's like, you didn't tell me. I told you, you just weren't listening to me. I go into the dry cleaners and I just start having a conversation with these people. I've been, it's an organic dry cleaners, right? So it's the best place around. A little advertisement for this place, right? I'm not telling you now what town it is because some of you are like, you just, you just tuned me out when I said organic. You tuned me out. That's all right. I still love you. This dry cleaning, though, this place, I asked these people recently. I said to the woman, I'm, walking, I'm like, I've been going here for a while. Are you a Christian? She said, yeah, and you know what? I've been wondering if you're a Christian. How funny is this? How funny is this? And listen, listen, as flawed as a human, listen, right here, right here, right? As flawed as a human being can be. But two Christians, I knew there was something different about this woman. I knew there was something that was different about her husband. She didn't need to have the signs up. She didn't need to have it written everywhere that she was a Christian. I knew she was a Christian because of her actions. I knew she was a Christian, not because of what she said, but for how she was treating me, how she was treating her customers. And you know, how about this? Another football guy. I'm sorry. It just kind of happened this way. Putting the sermon together. There's a guy, Keith, I don't even, is Steve Smith still playing in the NFL? All right, he retired. This guy, is he a Hall of Famer, guys? The short guy, the crazy guy. You want to talk about, if you hate football, just get this. You get, just get this story. He's a Christian. He's a Christian. Strong Christian. He's passionate. He's crazy. But he's a Christian, right? Amazing football player. So he just finished his career. He was asked by somebody, this, is, this was so cool. He was asked by somebody who was friends, Christian, and the guy said, hey, my son wants to play football. What kind of gear should I get him? <laughs> he said, no, man, don't do it. Said, don't do what? Don't you get him top of the line gear. You don't want him to be that kid. That kid, the kid that has all the gear and no game. Davin, you hear me preaching? The kid that has all the gear, he said, and no game. He said, you don't want to, don't get your kid the custom cleats and whatever else. And he goes out in the field and he has no game. And I'm bringing that story up because I think the world looks at the church and they say, wow, you have really good gear. You can really talk it, but do you really walk it? You don't have much game. You have a lot of good gear and you're talking about stuff, but I want to see you kind of walk it out. I want to see you live this thing out. Too many hypocrites in the church. Where's our game? No gear, all game. Whatever, listen to me, whatever you do, you fix cars, you charge a reasonable rate. You're an accountant, you, I mean, you build people properly, you're a teacher, whatever it, whatever it is, you own a business, whatever it is we do, people are watching us and they want to see that we do things with excellence. Excellence. 
You think we want to run church services without ex- oh, Listen, we can always improve. You may sit there, well, I didn't like the music. That song wasn't done properly. And they missed that note there. And the preacher was a little bit off on this point until that point. Get out! <laughs> Serious. Nothing's going to be perfect. You can dissect my sermon. I didn't like that point. Good. I'm glad you didn't like my point. <laughs> I liked it very much. And you think about, th- think about God too, right? Think about God. The next time we get a sunrise, I mean, it's cloudy. I mean, we didn't have that today, but sun's coming out. Sun will come out this afternoon. Pastor Joe said it's going to come out. Now you're like, wow, you're really losing it. All right, I'm back. The next time the sun comes up, out tomorrow, I want you to give God a grade. Give God a grade. The sun comes up. Give him a grade. Look at how God created this world. I sit there, honestly, I love to, and many of you do too. You love to be out in nature. I love to just sit outside and look at things. I love a sunrise. We go away to Delaware. Very few times my kids will allow me to actually see the sunrise, but to witness a sunrise and sit there. Remember I told you about Chesterton? Chesterton years ago, one of my all-time favorite quotes when he says like little, you know, little kids, some of you are like, well, I don't even know who Chesterton is. That's okay. Guy that lived, a Christian that lived in the early 20th century. You ready for this? You know what little kids? I have young kids. What do they revel in? What do kids revel in? <clears throat> what do they love? What do kids love? They love monotony. Daddy, what do I get all the time? Nolan, my three-year-old. Throw me. I can throw the kid 50 times. My back can go out. He doesn't care. He wants daddy to throw him in there. How many parents, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Well, he says... What is God like? God, every single day, the sun rises. There's God saying, do it again, son. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. How majestic is your name in all the earth? The way God set it up. The way he made his creation. And if God is doing things with excellence and he has put gifts inside of us, that means we are to be living with excellence as well. Excellence. Can I give you my last point? Can I give it to you? I didn't hear. Oh, there we go. How about our uniqueness? Because isn't this kind of weird? Isn't this a seeming contradiction? I promise I'll be brief. Isn't there a seeming contradiction in the story? Because look at this. If you knew a dude that was bad, right? Somebody like, you don't want to mess with that guy over there. Look at the list of things. Look at this. Look at this. It says... He is skillful in playing, right? He's, a, he's, he's skillful in playing. He's a mighty warrior, all these things. But he's a harpist? Would that intimidate you? Like, listen, this guy's really tough. Um, just don't mess with him, man. You, you don't want to get him upset. Dude will do major damage. And, and oh, by the way, he's a sick harpist. You're like, what? Do you, ever see, you don't get it. You ever see Sesame Street when you're a kid? You'll get this. Sesame Street, because I, listen, if Sesame Street's on right now, I'm going to stop preaching. I'm going to watch it. It's going to take me back to my childhood. Right? How many of you know? Remember the, the, the part of the show when they go, one of these things is doing the, doing the wrong thing, right? Or, what is it? Not like the others. There it is. Whatever. Preacher, get it right. You know what I'm talking about? That? I was thinking about that. I'm like, you remember that? Yeah, that part, right? Doesn't this look like that? One of these things is do. Why is he's a harpist mixed in with this? Because doesn't God work that way? It's a seeming contradiction that he has all of these things. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God takes all of our idiosyncrasies 
He takes our eccentricities, how weird we are, and he puts those things together. You see, he says, listen to me, you're never... If he went on the battlefield and just tried to play Goliath to sleep, Goliath would have taken his sword and chopped his head right off. Sorry, kids. Next, he's going to be PG-13. But that's what he would have done. And conversely... If he was never a good harpist, he never gets before the king. And can I just give you a little more, a tidbit for next week? Do you think David, this young boy, would have been brave enough to go up to the king and say, I'm ready to go do battle with this guy, Goliath, if he didn't already know him as a harpist? I say no. No way. Was that a timer that just went off? Does that mean my sermon's supposed to end? I feel like I heard a timer. But it seems, it seems... That there's a, it seems that there's a real contrast in that, that it doesn't make much sense, but it makes perfect sense because that's how God does things. John Ortberg wrote a book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. One of my all time favorite book titles. I use it at school. Kids are like, that kid's weird. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody's normal until you get to know them. That's you too, pal. That's you too, Missy. And then they're like, they kind of shut up. I'm like, you got anything else? Huh? Anything else? No? You done? We're done here? You know what I'm talking about? And listen, I get it because I'm weird. I get it. Listen, this is where I told you I was going to be on the couch. I'm one of the weirdest humans. And Megan is on the front row going, uh-huh. People that know, I am one of the weirdest people you'd ever want. Some of you are like, no, you see me on the stage here and you're like, you don't, maybe I do seem really weird. I don't, but I'm so strange. But you know what? That's what's so cool about God, and that's what I've really accepted about myself. I don't really, I, I've accepted that, and I embrace it. When I have to have my, my chapstick isn't on me right now. It's kind of weird. I feel naked without it. But there's certain things that I kind of have to do, and I'm very strange and weird with, and certain patterns, and how disciplined I can be. And listen, don't, I, did you hear the book title? Some of you were looking, did you hear the book title I just gave you? Some of you are judging me right now. I feel judged. You're supposed to be helping me. You're not helping me. I don't feel helped. But really, how weird we all are. And David is here, and David is God's choice. Do you realize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you realize that? No, you don't get it. I don't think you get it. You know know what your homework is this week? Read Psalm 139. Read Psalm 139. Somebody start it for us. Yeah, I'm quit. Yeah, come on. Psalm 139. What translation are you reading from? Lord, you have searched us and you know us. Joanne, the Lord searched you and he knows you. He knows, Steve, you're sitting down and you're rising up. He knows all of your anxious thoughts. Ron, he knows all of your anxious thoughts. He comprehends your path. He knows you're lying down, Tabitha. He knows it. John, he's acquainted. You can play. Thank you. He's acquainted with all your ways. He knows every single thing about you. He knows every single thing about all of us. Before a word, Jamina, was ever on your tongue, before it's on your tongue, he knows it. He knows it. He knows everything about us. Isn't that crazy? He hedges us in behind and before. He helps us. He has his hand on us. His right hand protects us. Oh, can you handle, like Eugene, can you handle how wonderful this news is that I'm giving you? Can we handle that? Can we really, can we really embrace it? The psalmist, he then goes on. 
where can I, where can I go from your spirit? Can I flee from your presence? If I, if I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go make my bed in hell, you're there too. If I take the winds of the morning and go to the innermost parts of the earth, you're there. You're everywhere, God. You're all over the place. Are you kidding me? God knows us. He loves us. You are unique in the eyes of God. There is a calling on your life. There's something that only you can do. I can't do it for you. Only you can do it. And God wants you to find out what that is. Dig, dig, dig. David was so excellent. David was amazing. You can't get to Goliath yet. I'm sorry, church. If you wanted to meet Goliath today, you couldn't meet him. He's waiting. He's an amazing harpist. Amazing. I can't wait to meet this guy. You know what I want in heaven? I was thinking about it this morning. I want David to play his harp. I don't know about you. I want to hear. I want to hear the dude play the harp. I want to hear him sing a song, rocking songs out for three thousand years. That's who this David is. Wasn't just good looking. Made tons of mistakes. If you're somebody you feel like you've made a lot of mistakes, you're in good company because David made a ton of them. But he's still, at the end of his days, a man after God's own heart. Church. He wants to see his bride, a people that will come to him, a people that will sell out, a people that say, you're all I need. I don't need anything else. I just need you. If I have you, I have everything. That's what he wants. Lord, Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the excellence that we see in the life of David here. I thank you, Father, for just what you deposited in him and how it came out of him. I thank you, Father, that he was diligent, he was excellent, he understood his uniqueness, he understood who his God was. May we, as the people, understand who our God is. Lord, your word says the sons of Issachar knew the times in which they lived. Saints, city on a hill, community, church, these are perilous times. Know the times in which you live. Not a time to slumber, not a time to fall asleep, a time to wake up, a time to say, you know what? I'm going to take this Christian thing pretty seriously. I want to be diligent. I want to be excellent with what I do. Hey, if you're involved in anything in this church, I see these people, they come to a music meeting. They hear sometimes 11 o'clock at night and they practice and they have their camaraderie and they fellowship together. And and I see the kid mode teachers and and maybe they're meeting together and they're doing... You can plug in here in this church. Please, don't just run out of here every single week and say, that's my, that's my spirituality. Don't compartmentalize your life. Get involved. Bring God into everything. There's more than just this two-hour meeting, not even two hours. There's more to this Christian thing than that. So I would ask, that you, what, what is the next step for you? What's the next step? What does that look like for you? But there's a listen. There's, there's giftedness that's oozing out in this place. It's all over this place. And we, as your pastors, we just want to see that actualized in your life. And if you have questions on that or you need help with that, ask Pastor Linda and Pastor Joe. They'll help you with that. Ushers, you can come forward. And as Steve's going to do most of this, listen, you don't, I'm telling you, I didn't have anything, I knew, I, nothing groundbreaking, but I couldn't move on to David and Goliath. You don't want to miss the next couple of weeks. I'm just going to build every single week and ratchet up the tension and give you some cool stuff from the story because it's all I've lived in for a while. 
And this is what God wants us to hear. So ushers, this is a character, the Bible. God is inviting you and me. He's inviting us to get to know a character, somebody who really lived. Because remember, the world's going to say it's Bible's fables and fairy tales. These are real stories, real things that happen. Next week, when you, you look at the story of David and Goliath and you look at the types of warriors that existed back then, and this is real stuff, real history. No, my history, real history I'm bringing to the table next week. You don't want to miss it. And remember, if you've got nothing else out of today, you look at the whole list, you go back to that passage, you look at the whole list. The last thing it says is that, and the Lord was with him. The most important thing about David is mentioned last. The first thing that was mentioned was that he was a skillful harp player. When you go to work tomorrow, or if you're a stay-at-home mom, because the devil wants to tell you this, that you don't matter. What you do is not important. And he is a liar. You need to remember and know that God's watching. And he wants us to live with excellence in whatever we do. Whether it's changing diapers, cleaning cars, uh, whatever. You're in the office, in your cubicle, whatever it is. That you would do it this week with excellence. And you would be diligent. And you would, whatever your craft is, whatever your gifts are, that you would dig and work. So you have a great week. You come back for part three next week. We finally are going to be in 1 Samuel 17. All right. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.